Yes. Hello, Simo. We are again Hello. here. <laughs> We've spent the last five hours just preparing for today's episode. We've never been this well prepared. Exactly. <laughs> this is the most we ever did. <laughs> so, yes. So big expectations to be set today. Oh, for sure. Top. You saw people are, are, are recognizing how resplendent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've taken ownership of that term. Of that term, yeah. But it's good. We, we have a great uh, topic today. We have some great music. We mm-hmm. are, we're getting ready, you know, to, to, to close up this year with, uh, with standard deviation. Look at us, 14 episodes. What a, yeah, it's crazy. A, I don't know when the fuck we did all of these episodes, yeah. but we did it. <laughs> yeah, we are very busy people and we have time for this kind of nonsense. I think that's very impressive. It is, exactly. Yeah. So how are you doing? I've seen so much from you in the last yeah, year. Yeah, I know. I know. I've been, I've been all over the place. So uh, there is something to be said about this process, though. So last week we were on vacation. We went to to Lapland to kind of just zone out for a while. And it was great. Did no work there and uh, or almost no work. So we, we really had a nice vacation. Um, but every now and then, you know, I have to check my uh, emails to see what's going on. And I started getting these weird emails where people on my course or the Simmer course, the one that we just updated, the server-side tagging course, were wondering, like, I'm, I'm trying to do this stuff you do in some of these topics and I can't do it. Like, there's there's nothing. I don't see that stuff that you, you show in those videos. Usually I'm not worried and I wasn't worried then. I'm just wondering, okay, so they're just not doing it right. Maybe I'll get back to this next week. So then on Monday, I think um, Julius from Analytics Mania writes like, hey, did you guys notice that, you know, server-side tagging now has a new recommended backend? Like instead of, it used to be running on App Engine, no, which is like the, the technology I've written all of my content around. <laughs> it's now It's now using Cloud Run and it's an expected change. Like I've, it's it's it was well known that it's going to come at some point but yeah so then i go and check it out and it's not just that the recommendation has changed but the entire like provisioning process has changed so every when you when you create a server-side tagging container it now deploys it in cloud run and basically everything from that point on is very different than what we had in our very recently updated course so this whole week i've i don't think i've ever put out as much content well, not ever. Like in the past five years, I haven't put as much content out as this year. So I had to redo like, you know, one and a half hours of video, um, all the text content, all our quizzes. I had to write a blog post about it. Um, all these LinkedIn shenanigans. Uh, on top of that, I'm, I'm just going to go through it because this this sounds like a, a I'm, I hate busy weeks. I'm the laziest person in the world. So this is very uncomfortable for me. So I got to say this. Uh, we also... On Measure Slack, which I've talked about a lot, and, and remember to join if you're not already a member. It's the biggest, one of the biggest community for analytics and data people out there. So Measure Slack, we now have this volunteer team, and we've been like going through a backlog of almost like three thousand applications, and every single one of those applications needs to be verified against LinkedIn. That is this person a real person? Does the name match, and so on. And so if that was another thing that we had going on, we had to get those through, and we actually today uh, we got you know, inbox zero. So we got through the last application. So everybody who has applied for measure selection now be in. And then That's on top of that, and then on top of that, it's been just like a crazy week in, uh, or a crazy couple of weeks, like in Google Analytics 4, lots of new features, interesting stuff, um, things going on in the privacy world. It's just 
Like I was typing my newsletter today and I was just looking at, oh, there's so much to talk about that I'm just not going to bother. And I just took out like half of the uninteresting things away and left only the ones that I know how to rant about. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's just been crazy. And, you know, on top of that, our family's gone through a, a, a head lice problem with our kid um, and and I'm still recovering from a head cold. So it's like a it's been a it's been a weird two weeks, very uncomfortable for me because I, I got out of employment to to chill and enjoy. Like I thought that entrepreneurship wouldn't wouldn't be like this, but it's you know five years in and I still haven't learned my lesson. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so it's been busy. What about you? How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm great. <laughs> Doing good. I'm. Uh, I also have been super busy in the last weeks. <laughs> I can't keep up with with anything and i actually uh, i haven't played diablo in uh oh, like yeah. weeks, and i'm very depressed because i was level 946 you're yeah, playing played... the mobile version the mobile yes, game yes i'm okay. lazy and uh i i like i have diablo 4 on the ps5 but i never get to play because of my son and now he's playing spider-man too so it's over for me it's oh okay crazy. yeah it's it's over uh, so I, I haven't been able to do anything that I enjoy in the last period because it's just been crazy. And anyone yeah. that works in the agency environment knows that Q4 is when shit gets yeah. real because you have to, you know, work on new retainers to close the existing retainers to make yeah. sure the work is good. Get so all I, the all the remaining budgets sucked out of your exactly. customers. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not gonna say that because I love my clients. <laughs> no, but it, it doesn't mean that you don't like them. It's, it's just a reality. They have budgets that they have to spend or they, they won't get the same budget next year. Well, suck is probably the wrong word, but leech, <laughs> uh, <laughs> exploit. <laughs> yeah, you have to exploit your customers to get the pennies out. Shake them and see what drops. Shake them, yeah. In a very, in the most respectful way. Shaking them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, respectful. shake them so that, yeah, in a respectful way, for sure. <laughs> and I've been spending yeah. so much time in Firebase for the last two, yeah. three weeks. And I know a lot of people say that GA4 is just another Firebase. Let me tell you guys that it's not like you, you think, you think, I mean, it, it does look like it. It does smell like it, but it's a very different world when it comes to app development and tracking when it comes to apps, mobile yeah. apps, and then A-B testing when it comes to mobile apps. Like those are different wor you know, words that you need to have. So I've been struggling a bit with um, figuring out how to, uh, how to make it work with the um, working right now. I've actually asked for measures, like as you were mentioning earlier, I asked yesterday, what are, what is people's experience with the uh, AB testing with Firebase, which is exactly like Google optimized, but a bit different. It uses a lot of cloud resources, cloud run as well, cloud functions. So it's a bit, it's a bit different than Google optimized. So working, working to figure out how to, it's kind of a case study that we're working right now to use this Firebase yeah. uh, A-B testing component, the remote config thing to create different experiences in the app. But besides, you know, behind every little experimentation project, it's a lot of tracking bullshit that happens. Yeah. And every time you try to analyze data or to make up, you know, different uh, strategy for a business, you realize that you have tracking inconsistencies. <laughs> and it's yeah. like always back to square one. Because it's like, oh my God, we found this type of information. Let's verify this. And then you realize you don't have the actual parameter parameters <laughs> that track the yeah. specific information. And then you start re-auditing and then you start rebuilding measurement of, you know, uh, plans. So that's kind of what I've been just 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 going back and forth with the Firebase. Luckily I yeah. haven't I, I'm steering as much away as possible from G4. 
as much as I can. If I yeah. see it, I just close it. But I notice now that if you go on standard reports and you'll click edit comparison, there's this horrible, it's the most amazing button called explore, which has nothing to do with the actual functionality. But if you click that explore button, it's going to automatically create an exploration for you. So if you're in a standard report and you're looking at some comparisons between yeah. events or whatever, then from there, if you want to do deeper analysis, you click edit comparisons and below is this explore button. Terrible UI, but then you can build an exploration. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. I was happy about that was my win. <laughs> What my GA4 win in the last period? I was like, okay, this is nice. This this is cute. But yeah, that's well, we kind take of what, what we can get. Yeah, GA4 yeah, wins. Of, we take what we can get. I, I've been noticing that people say yeah. that uh, you know, there's not no nobody talks about digital analytics anymore. I've seen that on Twitter and on LinkedIn. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> um, I'm going to say that it's a circular argument. If there ever ever was one. <laughs> no one talks about GA4 anymore, says a person who talks about GA4. Oh man, I, I, I know, I know what, what, I think I know what tweet you're talking about. I, I, I just, I just, I can't stand <laughs> that way to start a discussion. It's like saying that, you know, so many people say that blah, 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 but this is my counterpoint to that. So your entire counterpoint is based on a circular argument. You don't actually explain the premise. You just assume that it's true. <laughs> Like that's not that's not like oh, I, I get you want to write content, but come on, deliver it with a different strategy than just kind of a begging the question. Uh, anyway, question. Yeah, it, it kind of boils. It, it, yeah, it really like it really boils my nerves because there are ways to actually start discussions that are yeah, not based sure. on. Oh man, yeah, I I I, I can't stand that. And I, and I personally, I haven't seen anybody say that, you know, analytics is dead. I've said, I've seen people write about, you know, how generative AI is going to change how we approach asking questions from analytics, how AI is going to impact us doing gap analysis, mm -hmm. um, modeling, stuff like this. I haven't seen anybody say that, you know, or, except, except the people who are uh, worried that they're just not good enough at their jobs, you know, they might be worried about the, the future, so. I've yeah, been thinking that's, a lot that's about, my thought. But I've been thinking a lot about this. And when you had, when I was doing the podcast alone last year and you were in the, you were a guest, you said something very smart that I've been stealing and reusing. No, I don't so, think so. Oh, it was, you said that people are, uh, uh, are outsourcing their thought processes to tools. That was a very smart thing to say. That was good. That was a good one. And now... <laughs> And I've been, I've been like, I'm, I'm kind of like, that was my thoughts today is that I see that everyone is doing content about implementation, about technology, and it's great because we need it. But what if 10% of people would actually spend time writing content about how to read the report or how to understand what the data tells you or what can you do with the data? So that's something that I think if more people would invest time, like constructive energy to, you know, write about how to interpret data, how to read it, how to do something with it then we wouldn't have those conversations like, is anyone doing digital analytics anymore? Well, let's just, you know, do it more constructively. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure I, I agree with that. Like, I, you're, you're in a tough spot because you write about implementation. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I saw your, I saw what you wrote on LinkedIn. I, I didn't take it. Absolutely not. Like I have a, I have a, no, 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 no. I, I saw, I, there's a seed of truth in what you say, but I don't, like it's it sounds like a zero sum game when you put it like that. Like mm -hmm. the 
like the time we spend on worrying about implementation is away from analysis. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, with some people, it might be uh, mm -hmm. some people who are stuck in an organization where their role is strictly implementation. And that's, and I, I got to say, that's a horrible place to be unless you, unless you like, unless you love it and you are super satisfied with it. But even then it's a horrible place to be for the organization around you because these are interconnected systems. Like mm -hmm. what you do in implementation can't be isolated. What you, what you do in analysis, processing, reporting, building products, building services. So in, in that way, there's a seed of truth. Like if, if our focus is on glorifying implementation, it's a weird thing to focus on because it's just, uh, it, it's, it's just like celebrating the nuts and bolts and not admiring the actual machine that was built. Like there, yeah. there's artistry to that as well. You can build like super durable parts and craft them from gold or platinum or whatever, but it doesn't really matter in the end game if the, if the thing you built is just a piece of crap or it doesn't work or nobody looks at it. So in that way, but, but they're not mutually exclusive. You can you can enjoy the nuts and bolts, and at the same time appreciate the bigger machine around you. And when you, like, what I'm go going after here is is this: when you do the implementation part right and you celebrate that, then it's also easier to celebrate the subsequent steps, because it's also very difficult to write about analysis and interpretations without sounding super shallow, because it's very difficult to say that. And this, I know that I know you, 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 you see this as well. You know this. I remember CXL, like Pep, Pep from CXL, always had this. Like best practices are just su stupid. Like, well, not stupid, but something that you shouldn't just carbon copy. We're just big and in the, practices, yeah. Yeah, and, and in the very same way, implementation stuff can be carbon copy. Like there are, it's when you go to a code level, there are certain things you can actually copy and, and they work nicely, but the way someone else approaches data or reporting or insight generation, it's very difficult to write or explain that in a way that makes it actually useful and not just a string of platitudes. I think that's what I'm going for. So, but if you link that to the implementation, if you say that, you know, this is a way to gain amazing insight, assuming you're following this kind of e-commerce schema, then it becomes like a, like a whole thing. So I'm, yeah, no, this was just a super saying. elaborate way of saying that I don't think it's a zero-sum game. It's not. It's, and it's also, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that we also should, you know, consider the analysis and insights mm. part, not just the implementation, because think about it, like, you can do a stellar best practice implementation, and you think you just did your job, So, but the issues you will find only if somebody does the analysis and yes. the shit doesn't add up. And that's been my experience in the last months, like, oh, okay, this is done, great. And then I start doing the analysis, and I'm like, where's the parameter? What's the value? Why is this yeah. null in BigQuery? Why, is, why are we not yeah. tracking this? So you won't, like they have to work together. Like the person that does more implementation should communicate with the people that actually do the analysis because this is the best way to verify how you know robust yeah. that implementation is. So it, it has to yeah. be something like togetherness, not just focusing on no, what's that's the you know, one one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And the other thing, I'm I'm just now writing a chapter in the technical marketing handbook about this. So another thing is that we are we look at like when somebody shows you a prototypical analytic system, they show you a series of interconnected parts that flow from one to the other. So the, there's a tracker that feeds into a collector, that feeds into mm -hmm. a processor, that feeds into storage or something like that. Yep. So it's it's shown as an as a directed graph, like a like a one system to the next. And we know 
we know that that's not the way to build an or use an analytic system. We know that there are there are cyclical references. You know, your your um, validation step might find something that needs to inform the collector. Your yep. reports might find a new spam source that needs to inform the tracker. Your reporting person might find a gap in the day that that needs to inform the entire measurement planning sequence. So there's all this back and forth going. And I think that's actually a really powerful tell in organizations that do data. Do you have feedback loops? Like, do you feedback have, yes. yeah, do you have people in the end of the system talking with the people in the beginning of the system? Just look at your process objectively and try to find those. If you don't find those, if you see it's just a waterfall, then you're going to be in trouble because you don't, you're going to be spending so much work on all the wrong things because you're not being, you're not informing the previous systems. You're just informing the subsequent systems. It's just, this, this isn't like, groundbreaking <laughs> insight it's it's just that we tend to forget that because the waterfall right. is so much easier to understand and it's so much easier to write about it's so much easier to consider all of these parts as separate things only communicating with each other at these very seams and that's just the way to build a really broken system but the and i i'm just hugging the microphone because this is my pedestal yeah, yeah. <laughs> one thing i do want to say is that that's one of the reasons why these processes fail so often is that we assume that everybody appreciates that model because it's so easy. We assume that when I do a good job, the next person will do a, will do an incrementally better job. And that's just, um, you know, those kinds of assumptions destroy any data organization in the long run. And it's not just data, it's any kind of collaborative effort that's, that relies on, on a perfect input that is incrementally improved. I think that's that's always going to be a problem if there's no communication processes too. But that's part of this data literacy thing that I was yeah. trying to aim at. It was yeah. just a plot because I was angry as always when I get angry. I just write people, <laughs> right? I, I just like I hear you. you. You know what I mean? And when I just like I say all my life story in one thing and then I move on, it helps sometimes. But that's what I what I was aiming at. Like if we would be much more interested in this feedback loops and iterative uh, type of, you know, like improvements mm. of, of our tracking, of our collection, of our processing, of our reporting, everything, then we would be more literate about what is the data value to the organization, mm. what is the data value to decision making. And it's, it cannot just be tied to the implementation and the cloud and whatever. You have to like hug you know, somebody mm. from the reporting team, hug a, you know, a consultant from time to time because it doesn't <laughs> hug work. Hug a consultant day. That's But I'm talking about this uh, technical marketing handbook. I get too excited because I know it's coming and I'm, 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 I, I, I want to, I want to be the first person that sees, sees it. Yeah. It's so difficult to write. Like it's so difficult to write. I've never been this writer's block is the wrong word. I've never been this just What's what's the word when you when you when when a ship goes into two shallow waters and it's stuck there? Like I I, I have a ship and I'm sailing, but I'm stuck on the bottom and I just can't get it off. And the problem is that it's the first time I've had to write something about my own industry in a way that can be accessible for somebody who knows nothing about our industry. I've always had the luxury of not having to worry about that by doing like super technical deep dives and kind of building a reputation around that uh, but now and and my wife is kind of Mari is really good at 
like with the checks and balances. So I write something. She's like, nobody's going to understand this. Like nobody's <laughs> going to understand this. No, well, she, she, she says, she says it in, in much friendlier terms of that's my interpretation. So I'm doing just rewrites upon rewrites, upon rewrites, upon rewrites. It's, it's fun, but it's taxing. And I'm very skeptical. I'm hopeful, but I'm skeptical if we'll actually have it out this year, but, I, but it's, it is, it's a, it's a lovely project to work on. I cannot wait to see it. And I know yeah. what you mean. Because every time, you know, like I, I, I've been catching myself lately when I'm trying to write something, I because I'm too into the depth of it, I forget yeah. about the commercial business perspective, making sure people get it. And um, I noticed this about myself lately at work when we're talking about machine learning and stuff, just because I've been studying this and, you know, putting all the models every time somebody tells me, but can we do this for this? And I already start thinking about the model. I think about the cloud, about like if we have the APIs. And so my manager said to me, Juliana, you know, like you're a commercial person, like you're a business person. Like, how are you <laughs> so distracted about this? Because like, I don't care, you know, like I'm only thinking about this. And when you know this stuff is very hard to break down very complex stuff to make sure yeah. everyone, you know, is able to understand and not because you think you're smarter than anyone else. It's just because you want to make sure people you know, get access to this information yes. in the best way possible. So I feel you. I feel you. But before we get our guest, I have a very special surprise for everyone listening today. So the, <laughs> so, the so this is the first time uh, I actually have good music for the similar for the similar ad. So our friend Josh Silverbauer is launching a new album called Universal Sunset. And it also can refer to perhaps something that uh, died this summer. But actually, it's just a rock opera album by Josh Silverbauer. And uh, on this album, besides himself and some glorious guitar done by Jason Packer, we have a lot of people, we're a lot of friends on this. Uh, we have uh, uh, Simo, we have uh, Jean Gianolio, now that I know how to say his name. <laughs> we have Julian John Mann, we have myself. We have mm -hmm. a lot of, we, we, we have some, some people on this album that participated in creating an amazing uh, album, an opera rock album, but it's actually about our world. It's about our industry. It's about the shit that we need to do every single day. Make sure you head to the episode notes to find this album and listen to it. It's free. It's available everywhere. So, Simo, I want to just press play on this for you. <laughs> the weirdness only got worse with each new party that Cookie went to. After the third party, Cookie had had enough and gave up. He would never find the great tag magician. But as wizards tend to do, that's when the great tag magician found Cookie. The wizard grew from a small glint in the corner of Cookie eye to a tall man in a pink suit with gloves and a top hat, bowing low in front of Cookie and introducing himself. Fresh from a party in another dimension, the great tag magician had heard of Cookie's plight and wished to help. Cookie and his trusted space urchin were wary of the wizard, but what choice did they have? There we go. Such a, such <laughs> a, like a, a, a descriptive language in those lyrics. I could just see the scenery in front of me. And the space urchin was just the best pun in the world. Yeah, so Josh is, Josh is amazing. Uh, I, I've, I've listened to some of his bits and pieces. And, and you know, I back before I was a total metalhead and a grunge maniac, I, I listened to a lot of 70s music. And this is, this is like the Who, Tommy, all over it, like all over it. Uh, that was uh, one of the first 
vinyl albums that I actually bought was was Tommy because it was such a so anyway, this is all over. So if if you like seventies rock seventies rock operas, it's going to be right up your alley. But also, like like Juliana said, the um, if if you're in analytics, like there's puns all over the place, and and uh, yeah, this was a simmer ad again. So I have nothing nothing special to add to what we already talked about today. So the server side tagging course is out there now, updated, updated, and re-updated. <laughs> so it's now the latest latest uh, version. Um, uh, with all the cloud run stuff in it we're working on the technical marketing handbook and just um trying to enjoy the rest of the year and relax relax with it and if you do want to buy something then use our special coupon code deviate that's d-e-v-i-a-t-e to get 10 percent off an individual course purchase does not apply to bundles <laughs> we really need to do something about this we, we should we should we should see if mari wants to do it because she will yeah. probably sound better than both of us. She'll them. kill it. Like, she'll be exactly. so much better than I am. <laughs> uh, I, I do have a segue to our guest, by the way. So we were talking yeah. about we were talking about um, uh, figuring out how to explain things to to audiences that you might not relate to on a, on a kind of a, an expertise level, for example. And Miles Younger, who's, who's our, our esteemed guest today, um, has recently shifted to an education role uh, working with a, with a company that kind of teaches other companies and in particular he's one of the like top people you want to ask about anything regarding ad tech and martech so I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear about how he approaches teaching those things because there's just when we think about data and analytics being complicated i think the advertising world is even more so because it's so such an interconnection between technologies and systems and people and users and browsers and regulators and so it's going to be a very, very uh, enlightening talk, hopefully. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's get uh, Miles in then. Yes. Hey, Miles. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. Um, how was the lobby? Yeah, so we were... Oh, yeah. The <laughs> lobby. W- was it fine in the lobby? Did you have enough Skittles? I, uh, I texted my wife a picture of me sitting in the lobby. <laughs> I held up my phone and I said, this, this is, is me waiting to do this podcast. Thanks for taking the kids to school. Yeah, this is, this is dedication. And, and, and thank you to your wife for, for letting you join us. Um, we, will, we will, of course, send her a copy before we air this episode. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I, I want to jump straight into is that I know you best as uh, a quote-unquote ad tech dude. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I don't mean that in any, any derogatory way or anything. I, I want to know, like, how did you get into it? I think you're, I, if I've understood correctly, you're kind of a builder. So you've, you've built systems in your younger days and, and now you're back in education. So what happened? Yeah. So I, I um, you know, as many of us fall into the things that we do professionally, I uh, totally fell into ad tech. Um, uh, some friends and I started a, um, a self-serve flash banner ad builder back in when we started working on it in like 2008 in our spare time we launched it live i believe in 2010 this was actually a novel concept at the time and uh steve jobs had not yet killed flash um and uh that business you know uh kind of just it didn't grow very much and so we um we pivoted over to 
dynamic ads, like so for product remarketing, yep. you know, the ad with the red shoes follows you around the internet <laughs> and um, built that piece of ad tech from the ground up. And that was in about 2012, 2013. And so, I mean, that's just basically how I ended up in ad tech. I had no knowledge in 2008 uh, that ad tech as a thing even existed. Uh, I was just solving kind of a problem I had encountered as a marketer, uh, yeah. having to work with uh, flash designers to get flash banner ads built. And it was just a very excruciating process for what you really were getting at the end of the process. It's just a little banner ad. Um, um, and so I wanted to, to streamline that whole process and templatize it. And like I said, that business didn't really go anywhere. Switched over to dynamic ad serving. And that was um, that did a lot better. And I, I lived in San Francisco at the time. I live in Portland, Oregon now. But at, at the time, I lived in San Francisco, and there were a million ad tech mm. startups, even just within like one or two blocks of our office. Yeah. Practically any company I could look up on the Lumascape had an office within a block or two of the WeWork that we worked at in San Francisco. And so that was just kind of how I got into ad tech. And once I got into it, once I you know became an entrepreneur and sort of met this other community of, you know, whatever builders, founders, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, I, you don't really want to go back to just having like a regular day job at that point. And so I, I never have. <laughs> so what was the, what was the bubble like then? Like you were, you said that you were all, all close by and you had of course tightly knit communities. How much was it like just celebrating all these innovations and engineering and how much were you concerned because i'm sure that some of you were crystal ball gazing like what the future is going to hold for for ad tech how much of it was like preparing for those eventualities like third-party cookies yeah. maybe already rumored that they might be going away and you know it's not something that i gave a great deal of thought to at the time so and i'll just we'll just use the years of like 2013 2014 when i'm when i'm speaking mm. right now um Third-party cookies were still very much uh, a thing. The thing that some people in ad tech were like, concerned about, I guess there wasn't even a whole lot of concern, was ad blockers. Mm -hmm. You know, that was around the time that ad blockers were becoming very popular. But, you know, I think the prevailing attitude at that point was, well, if they're using ad blockers, then we don't really want to advertise to them anyways. So forget those people. <laughs> and it's this tiny segment of like geeks who like install yeah. ad blockers and, and most normal people, most normal people don't care at all. Mm. Everyday people don't care. And then the other thing was that, um, you know, what we would now refer to as um, pseudonymized data. So the hashing or just, you know, giving yeah. somebody, uh, you know, an anonymized cookie ID, it's just a random string of, uh, you know, uh, letters and numerals. Um, that was considered, and I considered it as well, considered to be like pretty privacy safe because, you know, I, I ran a dynamic ad server that had a cookie pool at the peak, probably in the hundreds of millions of global mm. internet browsers uh, were cookied by my by, by my platform at any one time. Um, this is because I worked with a lot of like e-commerce brands that were getting traffic in the you know millions of hits a month. And so you get multiple of those clients and you very quickly build up yeah. a cookie pool of easily hundreds of millions of, of users. Um, and you know I would tell people, like, look, 
because you know there there were a lot of people I it's like I would you know I talk to family members and tell them what I do. You talk to sort of like everyday normal people and they, you tell them what you do, and they're like, I hate those ads. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, they're harmless. But <laughs> I, what 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 do you want me to do here? Uh, uh, and so like that. Well, that should have been the first clue is talking yeah. to everyday people and them being like, I hate those ads, dude. Um, yeah. um, because from my perspective, it's great. Oh, it's great. They're personalized. It's perfect. That's the bubble um, speaking, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. And so, but what I would tell people is that, look, if a bad actor were to crack into uh, my platforms, like audience data tables, let's say, the data would be useless. I mean, useless. There is There was nothing in that data that would, I, and this is true to this day, there was nothing in that data that would identify someone. Um, but that's, partly because I wasn't collecting that type of data. Like I could have been collecting all kinds of, you know, interesting data about these people, but my platform wasn't designed to do that. And so there wasn't really, there wasn't any reason to, to collect that type of data. But, and so that was how I thought of it. And that was how most of the industry thought of it at the time. It's like, oh, well, it's all pseudonymized. And so it's, yeah. if you remove it from the the precise system that it was designed for. So in my case, it was a, a DCO platform. If you remove it from that platform and from that web domain, because those cookies are only going to work with that domain, if you remove it from that, it is utterly meaningless data. It is just noise. Yeah. And everybody thought that that, and that was pseudonymization, you know, so it's not anonymization, it's pseudonymization. Everybody thought that was good enough at the time. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned is this, you know, people's, the, the layman's um, aversion to being hounded by ads and, and how they mm -hmm. hate that. I mean, obviously, much of that has to do with just site design. Like ad placements are horrible, like the way you just block your entire content. But, yep. but how do you, how would you, like, even today, as an educator, how do you explain the story of, and on the other hand, you have the open and free internet. And then you have mm -hmm. a model that, that the content creators need to be monetized with. How do you explain to people that not all ads is just about generating more shoe sales? It's also about having sites like Wikipedia up and running and having sites like um, you know Medium up and running. How do you explain that? Uh, I mean, it's something that uh, I try not to get too far into so I don't offend the wrong people. Mm. <laughs> you're, you're always going to like offend one, one, no. one side of the... Uh, equation or or the other um but i i you know i what i came to realize um <clears throat> i don't know five six years ago around the time that the gdpr rolled out in what 2017 and and uh, safari itp i think launched the same year um was you know what it doesn't matter what ad tech thinks, what the publisher community thinks, what matters is whether everyday people like it or not, you know, and if it's something that um, if ads are unobtrusive enough that people have no opinion on them, I mean, you almost kind of want it so that everyday people just don't have an opinion, you know, <laughs> like you don't, because you don't want people to have an opinion on ads. Once they develop an opinion on ads, those ads aren't working. Like part of the whole yeah. thing with ads is that it, it, it has to be on a certain level, uh, subliminal and subconscious. Once you start thinking about the fact that you're watching an ad, of course you hate it. You're like, well, I'm now I'm not going to buy this thing. Cause you're like pushing it really hard. You know, if you wouldn't push yeah. so hard, then maybe I'd consider buying it. 
Whereas from the advertiser's perspective, it's like, well, I have to tell you it exists. Otherwise, you're never going to buy the thing. And yeah. so, you know, the best ads are the ones that really kind of aren't noticed consciously in, the, in that way. And so, like, that's just that's that, that's the realization I had a few years ago is like, because ad tech used to get very defensive, even as recently as five or six years ago, we get very defensive uh say around safari itp gdpr of like well how dare they this is all harmless pseudonymized data and uh, it sort of lost the plot on like yeah but everyday people don't like this and what they're the ones who buy all the stuff that's that's the whole reason all of this exists is so they'll buy stuff and so we can't piss them off we can't piss off consumers uh um and so that that's that's largely my personal yeah. philosophy on it and, and how I tend to explain sort of the, if you're going to peel away all the layers of the onion, like what's at the middle and it's everyday people. And what, what do they want? What do they not want? What is it they're going to notice? What's the, what are they going to not notice and just not care about? Anyway. But there's, there's so many parties today and, you know, there's advertisers, publishers, there's the, there's the end the, the regular people on the street and there's browsers, regulators, and see, I've, I've been looking at some of the, like the public discussions on GitHub around privacy sandbox, for example, and just, it's so acrimonious. Like everybody has their own vested interests. Yeah. Everybody's fighting against each other. And anytime some kind of even small consensus emerges, it's like completely <laughs> bulldozed by, by oh, nitty gritty no. details. Yeah. And, and then it's like just filibustered, totally out of, out of, out of con contention. So do you see... Like this is super crystal ball gazing, but do you see any possible future in the in the multiverse where there's going to be a consensus that emerges that this is the way to do online advertising in a way that's all these parties will be at least moderately happy and compromise willing to compromise? Firstly, acrimonious, great word. Uh, I think that's it's a very apt word to describe uh, um, the whatever dialogue uh, around that stuff. Um, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I just don't see, I think that if there were to be a, an actual standard that everybody would agree on, my feeling is it would almost have to be regulated by, and I guess, you know what, I'm speaking from the perspective of like the United States market. Yeah. So the EU might be different because the EU is just, um, it's more friendly to regulation. Like the United States is very unfriendly to regulation, uh, very unfriendly to government interference in anything. And I think that you'd have to have some kind of government um, interference because the whole sort of challenge with digital and challenge with the web is there's like zero barrier to new entrants. It's not like the phone companies where you had to invest in installing phone lines everywhere mm. or the water company or the power company, these things that can be kind of regulated and standardized. Um, um, I don't know that the web is ever going to sort of arrive at that kind of a standard for the purposes of advertising. Um, I mean, third-party cookies, if you sort of look backward, were you could interpret them as a mistake, just like nobody thought through or i'm sure people were thinking through it at the time but clearly nobody would cared enough about the, un the unintended consequences that these things would have of like wait you're making a back door that's that's native to the browser you're making a back door for cross domain tracking 
that's mm -hmm. native to the browser. Mm -hmm. Today, we would just like, everybody would laugh at that idea if someone proposed yeah. that. Of like, no, no, let's build a little native backdoor for a third party to track you everywhere. Everybody would just like die laughing. <laughs> and yet it, it was built, you know, um, and uh, that just became this really convenient sort of, I think, anomalous thing that what we you know now call ad tech or walled gardens mm. whatever could you know essentially like exploit and, and monetize and when i say exploit i don't even mean it in a bad way i just like well yeah. you made this feature we're gonna use the feature uh and we're gonna use it to you know build an industry and and make money and help publishers make money and help advertisers sell things but i just don't know that like you know, um, history is going to repeat itself that way because it was, like I said, it was a mistake to begin with. Like yeah. it was clearly sort of a, kind of an error. But how does the client fit into all of this stuff? Because like we are talking about, you know, you know, the technical aspects of it, the industry aspects of it, but the person that pays you to run their ads just wants to sell their shoes. That's just what was saying. Like they don't give a shit. They just want to sell their shoes. So you were in an agency before, so you you probably worked with a lot of clients as, as we all know and love and um i just want to know like how are we educating the clients that actually pay millions millions to publishers and to all this you know i hate it when people say this tech giants but let me be like that oh this tech giants this evil tech giants <laughs> uh, well, whether they're evil or not they are they're huge guys. yes <laughs> yeah yes. yeah i mean it is what it is but like, yeah. what is the message that we are sending to clients? Like, how can we educate this stuff? I mean, this is, this is, I, I guess, you know, being at U of Digital, I, I'm in a somewhat more convenient position now where we're purely educators. We don't make recommendations to clients as to what they should or should not do. We just educate them because yeah. um, there really are no easy answers there. Like, uh, you know, the um, the closest sort of analogy that I, I've and I don't even think it's analogy. I think it's like an, an actually an accurate description of what's going on is is tech debt. It's like, well, you know, you can accumulate tech debt and make rapid progress on something and have a thing that, you know, works really well in the moment. But the fact is, you're going to have to unwind that someday and it's going to be painful and this is this is a known concept in technology you know and so and i'm not like a tech debt expert and so i'm sure there's frameworks for unwinding tech debt and and all that kind of stuff i'm sure people have thought thought about it um, um but that's that's the inconvenient truth it's like you built up a bunch of tech debt and now you, you the advertiser have to unwind it your agency partner has to unwind it all your tech partners have to unwind it or you have to find new tech partners who are going to or you have to find new agencies that are going to um um and but that doesn't like juliana that doesn't that doesn't make anybody happy. Like that, <laughs> that's not a very it's not a very convenient answer it, it doesn't really to, to your point it doesn't address like the the client's like pressing question of okay yeah so i have tech debt but like what about my sales numbers next quarter like yeah that's it i, I don't i don't, I don't want to hear about tech debt so I, I don't know i i don't i don't have like a great you know uh um answer like if i, I mean if i was a cmo i would just be looking hard at like alternative types of media that just don't mm -hmm. use that i know for a fact don't use cookies so rather yeah. than trying to use media types where 
I have to discern, is this cookie-less or not? Like if you yeah. have to ask the question, it's probably not cookie-less. <laughs> they're probably secretly using cookies and not telling you. Or they're, yeah. you know, secretly, you know, fingerprinting or they've got something going that's sort of like uh, on life support and they're not telling you about it. Whereas if you use something that you know is purely cookie-less, like, I don't know, CTV or, you know, audio or something like that, uh, gaming, you know, um, or advertising inside the walled gardens. Like, it's not obviously technically purely cookie-less, but at least it's all on a first-party basis. Um, um, that's what I would be doing, you know? I'd just be like, you know what? I'm not even going to ask the question. I'm just going to go use media that I know is 100% cookie-less, yeah. and I'm not going to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my that's my personal opinion. But like I said, I'm no longer I'm not in the business of giving advice. So, <laughs> I need to give advice for our listeners now. Yeah, of course, and <laughs> yes, and 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 to us as well as as future blooming ad tech magicians. But <laughs> I like, I think I think everybody. Well, I don't know if everybody. I think I think most people who have experience with organic growth, like like doing you know newsletters or whatever, they know that that's like the ROI on that is spectacular. Like you can get a steady steady growth. Um, but it just doesn't scale as well and you need dedicated resources for it. So of course, yeah. like I don't blame companies that want to sell stuff for just throwing money at whatever means they have of doing so. And ads have a proven track record of getting you incremental gains. So I think the the problem comes when you throw money at ads and then in return, you get litigated. Like that's where you're like, whoops! <laughs> Nobody yeah, told me no. that I'm going to be sued for this stuff. <laughs> I thought I was. I thought I was. Google wasn't going to do any evil. That's what they promised. Yeah, you, no, you you definitely don't want to get sued. Um, no, no, you, you you can't blame advertisers for advertising for yeah. seeking out new customers and growth. And that was the thing. Is the thing they're not fully deprecated yet with third party cookies is. And that's the whole thing, going back to the like questioning, like, why was this ever even launched as a feature? It's a backdoor into literally every browser. Like, it, and so like that scale is hard to resist. It's like, wait, you mean I can just literally target like virtually anyone? Like they visit almost mm. any site and they'll be cookied and I can now, they're, they're now targetable by me. Um, um, that's pretty hard to resist that kind of like, I don't know what you would call it sugar high yeah. that, yeah. you know, that, that third-party cookies have enabled. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like, like I'm reading a, more statistics. I'm sorry. I can't like pull any off the top of my head specific ones, but I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know if either of you have like followed any of the, the recent statistics or like working with your clients. It, it almost feels like they're going in two directions right now where some people are publishing statistics to say, oh, advertisers are, you know, they're not prepared for the death of the cookie. But then I read other statistics that seem to indicate that a lot of advertisers have moved a lot of their media off of third-party cookies and aren't really worried about it. And it's not that they're not worried because they're dumb, because I think that was the story of a few years ago of like, oh, well, these people just aren't paying attention. That's why they're not worried. I think now they understand it and they're just like, yeah, I don't know. We'll use them till they're gone, and we got other stuff we can spend money on. That's, <laughs> you know? that's, a, that's a, no, that's a really good observation. I have, I, I can't say I've seen the exact same thing, but one couple of threads that I have seen is first of all that when you say that third-party cookies are anomaly, it's it's absolutely true. But it's interesting how it's kind of turned into a whole thing. That now the third-party cookies are going away, all sorts of new technologies are emerging to try to replace them. 
So like fingerprinting yeah. is being repurposed as the new yeah. cross-site identifier. And then we have the the so-called first-party identifiers like hashing, sticky, uh, personal data like email addresses. So we believe, or, or that there's, a, there's a belief that third-party cookies need to be replaced. Like that's the whole mm-hmm. fundamental idea of the privacy sandbox. There needs to be a replacement technology. And I'm still looking for somebody to explain to me in clear terms why it needs to be replaced. Like what is the justification for throwing like billions of dollars into this innovation and is it absolutely as, necessary? Yeah, I mean, as a as a um, uh, what would you call it? A, a classical <laughs> advertising guy. I don't know how to re- refer to myself. <laughs> I, no, I, but I'm 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 a, a student of advertising. Yeah. So, like, ad tech, like, is is um, at its core. I mean, it's it's an engineering problem. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a very interesting engineering problem. It's one that I tried to solve and it was very rewarding uh and i the, the ads that uh my platform would uh run i'm still proud of them like they're really really good ads I, I was very proud of the 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 work that i did in ad tech um um but yeah do i think that um yeah one-to-one targeting is absolutely like necessary to running effective mm. marketing campaigns effective advertising campaigns uh brand building no, absolutely not. Like the advertising world was plenty successful and sophisticated mm-hmm. before one-to-one targeting. I think one-to-one targeting in, I guess, at least in an open cross-context sense, I think is going to prove to have been an anomaly. Um, um, and it'll just move to a, you know, individual to publisher context. So it'll be one-to-one but one-to-one that's scoped, mm. you know, I, 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 that to me seems like the most realistic um, uh, compromise uh, given where, where we are right now is that there could be a one-to-one relationship because in digital, you have to give somebody your data in order to interact with them. Like there's, there's no way to like, you know, visit the site without connecting with their server, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, um, um, and, but I think I think things will be scoped. And there's like so many of the solutions now, um, that's exactly how they're working, is they're saying, you know what, we're not going to enable fully cross-context, cross-site um, um, targeting. You know, you're going to be able to scope a uh, an opted-in relationship between a consumer and a company, and it's kind of, it's it's firewalled in that, in that context. That invites a whole lot of other questions around scale of like how many people are going to opt in, you know, you've got to now manage a hundred thousand little sandboxes versus just, you know, uh, um, a kind of monolithic third party cookie universe. Um, but I think that's, I, I, I think that's workable. And, and I think for the larger, you know, the larger publishers, uh, especially the, you know, the so-called tech giants like that, that will work, that will work fine. Um, you know, these, they have very large audiences, uh, very um, high levels of consumer intent, um, mm-hmm. and it's all like in a environment where, like, if if I go into Amazon, am I annoyed by all the ads, the ad placements that are there? Yes, I'm annoyed yeah. by them, but am I creeped out? 
no, I'm just I'm just kind of annoyed because there's a lot of ads, but like I'm not creeped out. I don't feel like my privacy is being violated. Like it's all like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm here to buy stuff and you're here to sell me stuff. All right. right. <laughs> like, I, this is this is what we're doing here. Uh, uh, and, you know, behind the scenes, um, you know, Amazon's developing tons of tech to kind of enable advertisers to work with their data in privacy safe ways and, you know, personalize the ads that you see on on uh, various screens and applications inside the Amazon universe. So anyway, that's that that's my two cents on kind of where I see it going, at least in the near term. So this is a bit of a cliche, but what do you think about the notion that some of the biggest advertisers are also owners of some of the biggest ad networks. So we have like, you know, Google and Amazon and Facebook and all of these actions, especially regulation have been designed to tear these big ones down. Like that's, yeah. that's literally their raison d'etre. That's, that's what they're trying to do first. And then they'll tackle the, the smaller ones afterwards. But everything they seem to do and everything browsers seem to do just seem to you know, strengthen the walls around those gardens. So they say they seem to indirectly benefit the very same companies that need to be torn down. Is this like, how, how does this contradiction escape the people who are actually working on this stuff? Like, is this not blatantly obvious or am I just. Uh, now by people who are working on this stuff, do you mean regulators or regulators, mean... browser vendors, people Bra who yeah, are yeah. building those, <clears throat> building those prevention mechanisms? Um, so I think from the standpoint of regulators, like I just think about the fact that the digital with a capital D as we know it, web enabled digital, I guess, uh, uh, is only like 30 years old. And so, you know, it, it makes sense that regulators are kind of just now catching up to the fact that this, this market that's only 30 years old, that went through a lot of twists and turns over that time has now kind of become this oligopoly where, you know, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Meta, a couple of very large entities control the lion's share of the ads market, the lion's share of the, you know, total addressable market of human beings on the earth. Um, and so it's almost kind of natural that it ended up that way. And yeah, I think that the, they'll have to impose some kind of regulation on this because, yeah, you, you can't have um, a situation where only a few companies on Earth, or at least if I'm considering the United States market, only a few companies in the United States control the lion's share of access to consumer attention and they grade their own homework. And so it basically, <laughs> um, I mean, no, yeah, so. Yeah. So talk about, you know, something that's anti-competitive. It's like, well, I, as an advertiser, first of all, if I'm going to reach consumers at any scale, I have to go through one of these publishers uh, uh, or else I'm just going to lose my mind doing direct deals with 10,000 other little publishers. Um, and I have no idea how they're really spending my money because they're allowed to sort of do all the do all the measurement. And so from a technological standpoint, now that third-party cookies have gone away, so third-party cookies at least um, provided, third-party cookies and other things that have been deprecated, like, I don't know, say um, log-level data out of uh, Google Campaign Manager, things like that, that used to be able to give you a more, give an advertiser or an agency, uh, build an independent measurement view more easily 
all that stuff is being deprecated sort of in the name of privacy. We also know that it benefits these walled gardens uh, because uh, they're then more able to, to grade their own homework and, and uh, like you put it, SEMO, be self-preferential. Um, like, I don't know that there's any way to unwind that now technologically because the, it's like third-party cookies are gone. That The tech that enabled the sort of independence, independent measurement is, is kind of gone. And the regulations around privacy make it so that you can't have those, you can't make those solutions available anyway. Um, and so I, maybe the browser makers will put something out there that, and I wouldn't even begin to be able to conceive of what the solution would would be. Um, but like maybe they can put something out there that facilitates independent measurement. But otherwise, I think it would just be, have to be government regulators that are just going to have to say like, look, you cannot, if, you, if you're in this special class of very powerful digital publishers, you are not allowed to, to publish your own measurement. Or if you do, you have to provide data to these other sort of companies, uh, uh, this other class of companies that is going to measure this, this media for you. Because um, yeah, otherwise we end up with a very, very distorted digital media market. Yeah. And we, and we have examples in the, in the EU right now with the, with the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act that are specifically telling big companies to stop that, you know, mm -hmm. open up your algorithms and, and for telling Apple to like, you know, stop having a, a, a single browser engine and stuff like this. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, because these big companies are like countries of their own. So it's going to be interesting to see like how much momentum they still have in, in, the last thing I'll say on that topic is that I, I have always been uh, much more bullish on measurement as being a thing that is solvable in a privacy-friendly way versus targeting. I think it is much mm. more difficult to solve targeting. I think it's much more doable to solve measurement. Yeah. Will the regulators understand that? I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for them to call me. Uh, um, <laughs> but um, um, I think I think measurement really is solvable in a in a privacy friendly way, um, and so I think there is there are ways to make consumer privacy regulations agree with call it like independent media measurement regulations, which yeah. don't exist yet. But I, I think those two things can be can be put into agreement with one another. Yeah. Tell me about you of digital miles because we're about to 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 wrap up soon, and I don't want to lose the opportunity to ask yeah, you yeah. about. I just got your newsletter. I signed up to your newsletter recently because you 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 know people couldn't stop talking about it on LinkedIn, and I, you you know my opinion about newsletters. I don't <laughs> read too many of them. I only am signed up to you know the similar point, and, and I, now yours. So I uh, um. Go ahead. No, thank you. I, no, people, they, they do. They love our newsletter, uh, um, um, uh, which is super flattering. Um, I, I can't claim a lot of personal credit for producing our newsletter. Um, uh, Shiv, the U of Digital founder and CEO, um, contributes a lot to it. And we have a couple of other folks that, that contribute to it. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, our newsletter, the, our whole take on our newsletter is to 
it's only weekly, so it's not daily. Like, so we are literally designed for people who don't want to be reading newsletters all day, every day. Um, um, you know, yeah. there are. It's well, only weekly. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at Simo because <laughs> it's 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 essentially it's it's like eighty percent news aggregator, and then it's twenty percent like top opinion. So, gotcha. you know. If you're a kind of an everyday professional in the industry, because there's people in, in, in the industry, you know, I would consider the three of us sort of among them who are both expected to have opinions and expected to be well-informed, but then also we just want to be well-informed. I just, I like being well-informed and, and, and that's a relatively small subset of the industry. And so for those people, um, those people are reading maybe even multiple newsletters a day. They're subscribing to all kinds of different stuff. But the vast majority of the people in the digital ad media industry, they're not like that. They want to do their day job. They want to succeed at it. They don't need to be reading, you know, 10 newsletters a day. And so our newsletter is really, really geared for, for those people. And even the people who are in the more kind of, what we call it wonkish subset, it's still helpful to have aggregation. It's still helpful to see what you missed. It's still helpful to see the opinion. But um, yeah, we just, we, it, it really is. It's a highlights reel of what mattered in the previous week. So it's like in 10 minutes, you just scan through and see what mattered. But anyway, nice. I'll stop. I'll stop doing my, my spiel on the, the I just subscribe. Uh, oh, good, tell good. Us, tell us about what are type of courses and educational programs you guys have at U of Digital. You went from agency to uh, obviously client side and into the education field. So what type of learning programs, what type of skills you guys are teaching people and why, why, what problems are you solving for? Yeah, so we fit into a unique space in uh, at least the education, learning, and development uh, market. So we focus just on digital advertising, marketing, and media. So we don't do traditional media. We don't do, I don't know, computer science. Um, and we exist to serve um, professionals who need to learn, learn strategic concepts. They need to get strategic context. Um, uh, so if these people are revenue generating or customer facing, they probably aren't, um, hands-on keyboard, or if they are hands-on keyboard, they're getting that training from somewhere else. We don't do hands-on keyboard training because there's, there's a ton of technical training out there. We're, that's not our area of expertise, but what they do need is a way to develop stronger relationships with their clients to be able to open up a conversation at 50,000 feet without having to dive immediately into a product pitch. Like if we're talking about, you know, digital privacy, death of the cookie, all that kind of stuff. If you're selling that type of solution, you can't just immediately launch into your product demo because no one's going to understand what you're talking about. They're not going to understand why they're supposed to care. Whereas you're going to be a lot more successful if you can open up that conversation by, you know, asking the client about their perspective on privacy, ask them about various strategies they're employing, you know, we kind of build up, uh, uh, build up a relationship. So we, we give our learners that kind of strategic context. And so we teach them on these, I call them big, big topics that are, uh, that are affecting their businesses. So in, you know, our world, it's things like CTV, death of the cookie, for sure, identity, uh, analytics and measurement, um, um, 
privacy generally, data clean rooms, um, uh, cloud, um, uh, email, all these things that are changing right now in the industry that um, everyday professionals um, just don't have time to keep up with independently. Uh, and so we can come in and, and, and help address those knowledge gaps in a systematic way so that people aren't just having to like Google stuff in the 15 minutes before a meeting. What about ChatGPT, though? <laughs> What's that? What about people that ChatGPT before the meeting? <laughs> so, so, so here's where we differentiate from something like ChatGPT. Um, so you could totally <laughs> use ChatGPT for 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 a meeting. We have it. We have an expert network. It's over 200 people, uh, 200 like Whoa. senior people in in the industry, and we run live interactive workshops. And so, you're gonna get knowledge and perspective from you of digital that you're not going to get in a million years from wow. chat GPT um, uh, because you're directly talking to a person who's been doing this thing for 10, 15, 20 years and can get very, very specific and really think on their feet. And it, a lot of our workshops are live classroom style workshops sort of end up turning into these ask me anything sessions because That's so cool. yeah, because it's such a breath of fresh air for our learners of like, oh my God, I've been waiting to talk to somebody like you and yeah. now you're right here in front of me and I've got you for 90 minutes. And so, you know, my clients have questions. I have questions for you. Uh, and so anyway, it's, there's, there's, um, um, we see a, a definite benefit on top of something like chat GPT, uh, uh, as a standalone solution. I think the strength obviously would be doing you of digital plus a little bit of chat GPT because then, Everything that comes out of ChatGPT, you're going to have more of a perspective on how to use it. That's the other thing. Like the other, the other problem with ChatGPT is like if you know, if you're not familiar with subject matter, you don't even know what prompt to put in. Exactly. Or if or if you ask something, you wouldn't even know if it's wrong or right. You just plaster right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's better than Google, but if you really don't know the subject matter, then it's still going to be kind of mysterious to you. How can people come to these workshops? Like, where? What do we do? Like, do you have a subscription? Do you have like a one-time only? How can our listeners come and you know participate in a workshop? Because this, from what I'm hearing from you, I hear that you're teaching basically a lot of strategic skills. And for instance, yeah. if somebody, because me and Simon were talking about in the beginning of the episode about implementation versus reporting versus collection, like it's a lot of people with different skills. So, for instance, if we have somebody that's a tagging specialist or implementation specialist that wants to learn more about the business strategy part to help, you know, better their team or their clients, how they could come to these courses and what could, you know, how can they take advantage of your uh, network? So go to uof.digital, uof.digital is where to go to find out more. Um, um, our classrooms, uh, we're typically working with clients on an enterprise basis. So we would work with one or more teams at a company. You know, I, I think one of the things I'm excited to get into um, um, now and into the future is, is in, say, the analytics and data collection world is helping those teams at a high level understand the other side of the business. You know, help business users understand data collection help people who are dealing with data collection analytics understand um, um, 
the business side. Um, um, but yeah, we're, we're, for our classrooms, we're, we're working with uh, clients on an enterprise basis. We typically partner with clients uh, like on a year long basis. That's another unique thing about our model is we don't just do kind of one time boot camps and assume that everybody's good. Uh, we like to add value to our clients over time. Um, and then we do have an e-learning platform uh, that you can access also through uof.digital. Um, and that has some courses. It's got some great uh, 101 level courses on uh, to kind of the digital advertising and marketing um, landscape. It's very useful for people who are either new to the industry or maybe they're coming from traditional media or maybe they are coming from the business side and they don't know anything uh, uh, about digital advertising. Um, but yeah, uof.digital would be uh, uh, where to go to learn more. Uh, I'm, I'm miles at uof.digital. If anybody wants to send me an email, M Y L E S, uh, is how my first name is spelled. Um, Did yeah, you just we'd be, ask we'd be happy for to people talk. to send you email. You are, you are, you're a strange man. I, it, exactly. I love it when people send me emails. I like meeting people. So we're going to add all of this stuff in the, in the show notes. Um, uh, you know, the UF Digital, the, your your newsletter, which you which you put out once a week, and I'm going to anxiously see how you do that. And then, of course, you're active on LinkedIn and, and Twitter, and we'll we'll put those, or, yeah. or whatever it's called these days, and anything else uh, where people can find you. Um, it's, been a, it's been a lovely talk and very, very uh, enlightening. Like, I think you said it well when you described the people who come to, to UF Digital is that finally there's a person to talk to about this stuff mm -hmm. because this is things you read from blogs this is things you read from uh yep. you know google's privacy sandbox talks this is things you read from github notes but then you actually have a, a human being on the other side of the, the the screen it's it's it turns into a much more interesting discussion i think and it's not as colored as what you would put into it, when you well it's, probably it's depends on the just, person as well yeah yeah well it's not just colored like even i, I I could go to GitHub right now and read privacy yeah. sandbox notes and they wouldn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I will admit, I just, it, yeah. I'm a smart person. It would not make any sense to me. I would need somebody to explain it to me in a very, it's unbelievable. very terms. Like it's, it's unbelievable how compl complicated these things are. Um, and you approach it from the point of view that this can't be complicated. Then you look at it, oh shit, it's super complicated. And then you're, then you're left wondering how much of this complication is actually manufactured as a kind of distraction to make you think it's complicated so that you don't look at the nitty gritty parts where they try oh. to hide all the. <laughs> you're, you're getting too conspiratorial. You know? <laughs> I know, I know. I, this is the last you'll see of me. Anyway, Miles, it was an absolute pleasure having you on and hopefully we'll see you next season as well to talk maybe more about education stuff. Cool. Yeah, likewise. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a lot of fun. Thank you.